Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me back on the show for, I don't know, maybe the fourth or fifth time, Danny Scott, CEO and co-founder of Coin Corner, based out of the Isle of Man, an exchange that you can use to fiat cost average yourself out of fiat and into Bitcoin. They accept euros and sterling. They also have the Bolt card, which you can link directly to your account in the app. You can use that Bolt card at merchants that accept Bitcoin, or you can use it to fill up your wallet of Satoshi, for example, or any other wallet that it's compatible with, just drawing those sats directly from your account. But as Danny, we, well, we both talk about this in the show, please self-custody your Bitcoin. Guys, if you've not taken that message away from my show or anybody else's, go listen to Stefan, go listen to BTC Sessions, John Vallis, any of these guys, they're going to tell you the same thing self-custody your Bitcoin. This is not a drill. And Danny is a CEO of an exchange. He doesn't want to hold your Bitcoin. He wants you to have it. So you can use a Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only wallet. That is from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. Use the code Bitten at checkout and you will get 5% off all purchases on there because they've got other merch as well. Now, if you want KYC free sats, you can use the peer-to-peer trading platform hodlhodl.com forward slash bitten that's going to save you on commission there what's kyc stand for you might ask that is know your customer danny his exchange they have to do that legally hodl hodl don't they're just a platform and it's global so you can go on there and exchange your fiat for bitcoin if you want to try a coin join service to try and break some of the heuristics that are tied to your purchases on exchanges where you have had to KYC yourself, you can use wasabiwallet.io. Very simple to use. A noob did this the other day in under 10 minutes and texted me back and said, thank God you told me about this because now rather than wait a week or so for the, uh, the cold wear, um, cold storage wallet that he has ordered he knows he's got them off the exchange and into a coin join and it's broken that that track between the exchange and what's going to end up finally on his uh, hardware wallet so wasabiwallet.io and that will automatically coin join for you there are other services you can use to stack swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten in the us they have a dca service they have a smash buy service and they have a private client service. So do Relay in Relay in the Euro in Europe. R E L A I dot C H forward slash bitten. Use code R E L seven two seven to save on commission. So you've got the full suite there, guys. You've got a way to stack privately, a way to stack with an exchange, and a way to 
break that KYC and a way to self-custody. This is what we are here to do. Enjoy this rip with Dan. All right, Danny, good to see you, mate. Nice to have you back on. You too. Thank you for having me back on again. Anytime, mate. Anytime. You know you're always welcome. Uh, Lauren is not present at the moment because she's on uh, one of her online lessons. So she might come in and interrupt us at some stage. But uh, okay. she sends her regards either way. Good. <laughs> uh, and you can, I, I know now you, you, your nerves will be more settled that she's not here to, to wing a question at you. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the toughest questions, the ones I always struggle with. <laughs> well it's good to, it was good to meet you mate in in person again i know we got to hang out a little bit in miami but then again in amsterdam what what did you think of the conference how did it go for you guys because you brought the team across yeah yeah amsterdam was good actually it was um it was nice to i think the miami one was very large as, as you're aware and it was it was pretty big um but i think the amsterdam one was a little bit more intimate um in fact there's about there's about two thousand people i think there um, so it was quite nice to get to see like the likes of yourself again and quite a lot of the people within the industry that we got to catch up with and uh, have a few conversations with. But I think in general, the conference was was really good, actually. Um, great setting, great location, um, really good all around. Yeah, it was excellent. It was great to see you and get to meet Molly in person after all these years. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, re I really enjoyed it. And I urge anybody that hasn't been to one of these conferences yet Yes, they can be expensive, that one in particular, mm -hmm. but there are some smaller ones coming up next year that I think people should definitely keep their eyes out for. BTC Prague, for example, is going to be it's going to be big. I think they're expecting eight to 10,000 people, but I think the tickets are going to be anywhere between 50 to 100 euros or something. So okay. it's great to get so many people uh, together and, and having discussions right it's not just about going to listen to the talks it's about uh, getting to know people that you've been interacting with for so long and so so many good things come from plebs meeting plebs mm -hmm. yeah <clears throat> i think that's one without uh wanting to i guess insult any of the speakers and things like that, a lot of the time when i go to these conferences it generally is just to go and meet the people from within the industry that we talk with on a regular basis or um, even semi-regular basis, just being able to actually put a face to the name a lot of the time, meet in person. And you can have conversations much better in person than you can even via Zoom or via email. Um, so yeah, it's incredibly powerful to be able to go and do that with a lot of people. There. Um, the speakers are always great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think a lot of the time I end up missing most of the uh, talks and most of the, the panels just due to uh, meeting people and having meetings with um, everybody that, everybody else that's turned up, I guess, that we can uh, go and talk to. Um, and talking to the plebs, um, which is um, really, really useful, I think, which is something um, that can be understated or kind of missed, I think, sometimes at a lot of conferences um, where you do get the opportunity to just go talk to what ends up being sometimes your customers or people that want to interact and work with you guys uh, in various ways. So the feedback you can get from that and the conversations you can have from that is really, really useful as well. Did you find that $100 million investor you were looking for? <laughs> not yet <laughs> so we're still looking for that okay 10 million you know anything anything coming your way um the, the, there is we'll maybe in the next couple of months uh we'll we'll say a little bit share a little bit more about that there's always yeah. something there's always a carrot to be dangled from danny scott Every i love it <laughs> we have to keep doing that 
Um, but yeah, no, we've got some actually some really exciting stuff in the next couple of next uh, couple of weeks. Actually, there's some some new stuff coming out, um, and then into the new year will be um, more, which is good. But um, yeah, you have to keep. I think in this industry, uh, in this sector, you've got to keep pushing forwards and innovating. And um, it is often seen as like you know one thing's come out and then you know everybody's bored of that. Right, what's next? And it's it's very 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 fast paced. Very much what's next all the time, um, which is incredibly difficult in our industry. Um, but yeah, sometimes a necessary evil. And you guys were giving out bolt cards to everybody that attended Amsterdam. Got a bolt card, and one yeah. of them, I believe, had a free ticket to Miami, uh, the Bitcoin Miami conference in 2023. Did anyone sweep that? Claim that? Do you have any news? Far as I'm aware, nobody's claimed it yet. So it, it's out there <laughs> in somebody's bag. <laughs> um, so yeah, they need to tap it on the phone and sweep it, and it'll it'll basically direct you to um, your ticket for Miami, um, which I think is a is it the $4,000 ticket, I think, or something like that. So it's it's worth quite a bit. Um, so Holy yeah. shit. All right. So any plebs out there listening, if you find that Bolt card that you were given at the Bitcoin Amsterdam conference, Dan, explain what you need to do. You need to just make sure NFC is enabled on your phone. Yep. Yep. Um, just, just tap it on your phone and it will take you to a website effectively that will give you your ticket um, or how to claim your ticket okay so you don't even need to have a wallet of any sort downloaded nope just just tap it on your phone and it'll open it in a web browser enable nfc tap it on the phone and see if you've won the the ticket to miami yep oh <laughs> it's <laughs> still out there we should have maybe advertised that better but we we just assumed somebody would tap it, it we know it got it was given to somebody there um, it definitely got distributed out, um, but we were just still waiting for somebody to come and claim it. Um, so my guess is they've just put it in the bag and they've just not really tapped it on the phone and, and swept it. And were they um, all the same pictures? I can't remember. Or do you even uh, know? There was a, No, I think there was a variety. The one, I think I can't quite remember which one the, the winning one was. Um, potentially a bull one. Right. Could have been the bull one, I think, the bull design. All right. Well, plebs, share share this episode with anybody that you know went to Amsterdam to see if they've won that that ticket. Uh, yep. And that that's one great thing about the bolt cards, actually, what you guys have released. Because, and I know you're a fan of people ripping off in air quotes uh, what's going on in the space, but laser eyes cards have now mm -hmm. come out, and yep. uh, I'm sure you've got you want. Uh, do you have one? Yeah, yeah, I've got one not with me, but yeah, I've got one. Yeah, you were you were given one in Edinburgh, right? I, I've got mine here as well. Yeah, so I got my, <laughs> yeah. I got my laser eyes, and this is what I love about it because in like legacy business practices, you guys would have patented that and you would have trademarked it, and you would have made sure that if anybody else come out to try to copy it, you'd be straight into the legal rooms and and suing them. But here yeah. we are, all building together, sharing ideas. And they took your idea of the bolt card and then come up with laser eyes cards. And it's the bridge to Bitcoin guys as well. So big shout out. Uh, it, it Great fun. Great to see this kind of uh, initiative taking off. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. And we had, um, so I had this discussion actually earlier on, um, on uh, our podcast that we do and talking between uh, myself and Dave actually, uh, and just kind of going through that. And exactly that we saw, we were talking about JP Morgan. And they've just recently patented or trademarked, whichever one it was now, um, some cryptocurrency payments. Um, I think it was a patent. Um, so they've claimed something there. 
And what they, what your banks and all the sort of traditional companies, institutions generally do is they will jump on them and squat on them for many years, whether they actually want to make use of them straight away or whether that's in 5, 10, or it's just a defensive mechanism that they, they use. Um, and they do that. And we were actually saying that exact same thing as you've just said there. What we did in, in our industry was completely different. And we actually pushed the bolt guard out and pushed it out into the open. So then people can't come along and effectively patent it. And it's already open out, uh, open source and open into the industry um, for the world. So you won't get a JP Morgan or you might try, they might still try and come along and try and patent it in some way or some function of it maybe. Um, but what we've seen already, like institutional uh, sorts of legacy institutional side of things where they've got a Visa card and a MasterCard and things like that, you don't really see things built on top of it and much happening with it. Um, as you're saying there with the bolt card, because it's open source, anyone can play around and it's it can be non-custodial and everything alongside that. Um, people are building. So for example, you've got the laser rise cards there. Uh, we have, um, there was one um, a couple of weeks ago, was it um, uh, what they called? Uh, it's the electric car um, charging points, Satoshmi or something. I can't remember what it is now. Um, I can dig it out for you and share it. Um for the show notes, but that is, uh, they've also used a bolt card. Uh, the bolt card is then to, it taps and it's, I think it's enabling um, the pay, the payment as such or enabling your account. So it's got like an, a user ID on. So they're using the user ID from their bolt card effectively to enable the transaction to go ahead and for them to charge their car at an electric charging point. Um, so they've built on top almost of the bolt or use what the bolt card has to be able in its underlying uh, data that's stored on the car and able to then tap and do something different other than paying with a lightning payment. So we've actually, um, so we saw that actually, we saw that and something we haven't pushed out yet, but we were just playing around with internally. Um, we realized with the, the way the bolt card or the, the way the card, the NTAG 424 cards uh, that we use for the bolt cards, um, which is what everybody else is using as well. Um, with that, you can have kind of like data stored in, two parts of the card, let's call it. One can be your bolt card and it taps and makes use of it um, for a lightning payment. And the other can just be like static data almost as such or some form of of data of tag. And we've embedded it internally. So we have a on the door as you come into the office, you have a fob and the fob is a card that you can tap and come through and it lets you in the door. So we've actually enabled it now so you can have your bolt card set up to so it's your bolt card to go and pay for things with lightning but you can also tap on our door system and it'll let you through the door as well so it opens the door for you um, which has nothing to do with bitcoin and lightning network but it's just something that's enabled to be built on top of it um so that was something we hadn't even thought of until we saw that video and we thought oh does that work and then we tried it and it actually yes it magically it works um but all of a sudden you're starting to see more and more things built on top of that technology and what that card is and what it's doing um, so it's nice to be able to see that in action. We've seen recently the ones in Brazil um, with the the kids buying the fruit. I don't know if you've seen the videos of that no. um, in Brazil. So I'll share that with you as well. But uh, they've got the they've uh, brought in the bolt cards, brought in the POSs, and nothing to do with us. Um, they've done this off their own back. Um, they're doing non custodial, or I think they're using LM bits to do the um, the bolt cards. I can't remember who the POS, it might be BTC pay server for the POS side. Um, and they've got kids at school now using the bolt cards to come and buy their dinners with them, the fruit and veg and things. So um, that was really interesting. There've been quite a few videos now that have been shared uh, and they're trying to do, I guess, a little bit of a grassroots um, growth and adoption, um, similar to the El Zonte, I guess, in El Salvador uh, and trying to drive that, which has been really, really good. Um, and 
it's incredible because if that's like from our side, we've pushed the bolt card out and this is exactly what we wanted to see happen. We wanted people to build on that, build around it, make use of it in areas of the world that we don't have the resource and power and time and everything at the minute to get out there and help that. So for other people to have that technology now and use it in the ways that benefits them is pretty incredible to see really. Um, it's nice from from a distance, which is really, really good. No, that's amazing. I did see a, a bunch of African kid, kids um, buying some groceries, whatever it is they needed, and they were using um, uh, Machan Kura's uh, mobile technology. And then the, the pleb started sending everything, uh, sending a few sats over to to the kids and stuff. And it's yeah, it's just amazing to see. That's so heartwarming when you see things like that on Twitter going around because that's what it's all about. You know, people are so fixated on the price and the latest scam and pump and dump scheme. And it's so nice that it's like a little rainbow comes across Twitter when you see that, you know, the, the, the power of the lightning network in full effect. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really is. And that that's adoption. It's like you say, it's the thing that everybody ignores. It's not the drama. It's not the, I guess, excitement in most people's eyes um, of the industry, what they're seeing with the FTX saga and all the other drama that goes on. It's, you know, it's Hollywood movie making style news that they're all paying attention to mm-hmm. but in the background you know bitcoin is still being built out in um with a great foundation and um finding i guess real world use cases uh, is the best way to put it uh, which is really really nice to see so as an well a, a, a founder of an exchange and a uh, a steward of an exchange a ceo of an exchange how how long ago did you realize sbf was a complete and total scumbag, scammy <laughs> bastard, and um, yeah. What? What? Why don't you give us your take on it from somebody who understands the industry very well? Yeah, <laughs> um, I think in in some ways, I'm, I mean, I would not sit here and say, you know, I knew two years ago that he was a scammer and everything else. You know, if if I'd have known that, we'd have pushed something. Um, in in some direction um, to highlight certain things. But, you know, that's probably also not the way I operate as well. Um, And what we don't want to do from the coin corner perspective. So things like um, terminology such as like ambulance chasing and trying to jump on now, you know, FTX has has crashed and and burning um, as is the industry around us. I don't want to be from my perspective and from coin corner's perspective jumping on and saying you know told you so and all these sort of things and trying to gain clout from there it's like uh, dance graving i think is another terminology people use uh, dancing on the graves as such um so one of the things i guess we do is just keep our heads down and just keep moving forwards uh, learn from them lessons and keep an eye on what's happening there um so i don't i don't want to um dig into it too much in terms of uh SBF and, and what's happening there I think earlier maybe early this year was probably my first interaction um with the FTX side of things I think um they there was a, a couple of a, a conversation there that I think kind of highlighted some bits to me uh not in anything near the scale of what we've just seen um but just that they weren't really being honest and upfront I think about things uh in the way that, that they were being perceived in the public as this charitable um, bunch that were trying to give money away to charity and help the world. Um, so I think there was definitely 
a few red flags, but nothing to the scale of what we've seen. So in reality for myself, um, you know, yeah, over this last month or two, seeing that and seeing that unravel, um, there was always that thing in the back of your mind. And there will always be that thing in the in the back of people's minds where you're seeing somebody like SBF or FTX um, advertising, taking over uh, stadiums and sponsoring stadiums. And I, did they do a Super Bowl advert as well, I think? I don't know if they had a Super Bowl one. Um and spending all this money. And one of the big questions is always, you know, where did this money come from? And there was always the story about Sam um, arbitraging uh, FX between, I think, was it Hong Kong? He was based in originally um, US dollar and uh, I don't know if Japanese yen, was it? I can't quite remember which two it was, currencies it was. It was South Korea, wasn't it? The the the, the kimchi trade in, in air quotes. That's the one, yeah. Um, so there was always this story, but um, I, you know, back in... Uh, 2015 sort of times, 2015, 16, um, we we went through all these same things. How can you arbitrage between different currencies? Can you arbitrage between markets and uh, different parts of the world? Um, there was It was always very, very difficult. And you needed, um, you know, you would be needing to do like 10, 10 million plus a day just to start seeing any form of, of useful return and the time it takes to move things. And, you know, he claimed that he'd, he was able to do that um, and move the money quickly. Uh, and complete the trades to create tr- complete the trades to complete the arbitrage and make some money off it. Um, so, you know, back then we saw that we tried, uh, we didn't really try too heavily because the banking side of things was just so restricted. And then even if you got a bank somewhere, you had to be able to get a, a an exchange that you could do the trades at. Um, 2015, 16 times that infrastructure was just not there. So, when he was then doing it, which was like say 2019, I think was it by that time um, when he was looking at doing it you could kind of understand that maybe the infrastructure now is, is is there in the places it needs to be to be able to make them arbitrage uh, opportunities possible. Um, but it was still, you know, everybody was effectively doing it. If there was an arbitrage opportunity, someone out there is doing it and they're, they're trying to do that. So the actual, um, the profits or the opportunity there becomes slimmer and slimmer and slimmer as time goes by. Um, so for the amount of money he was meant to have been making, like, you know, he said he was worth 22 billion, was it, at the start of this year? That is a bit of a red flag and you have to question it. Is is a young lad come along two years into, should we call it trading, Arbin, whatever is, you want to call it, um, and he's now worth 22 billion. Um, that was incredible. <laughs> um, but, you know, is it realistic? Probably not. And as we've now seen, yeah, it's, it was not really realistic. Um, we still don't know the full details and how it's all un- going to unravel. Uh, one of the big things that confuses me still, and it's still a question, there's a couple of things that actually still confuse me. You know, what's the crime? So what has he done? What is that crime? And you have to assume like the reason why him and Caroline and the other uh, team members are not in prison at the minute because, um, or not been arrested at least, because I, I assume like they are the governments or regulators, whatever uh, capacity or whoever it is that's looking to come down on them. They're trying to investigate and figure out what the crime actually is here and, and what that entails before they can actually arrest them and make uh, formal accusa- accusations. So there is that. And, you know, I've seen this on Twitter a couple of times where people have said, okay, but what crime has he actually committed? And I mean, I personally don't know. It's kind of like fraud at a ridiculous level, but what, is fraud and then what's the definition of the crime and, and so on. So I don't know um, exactly what that is and how that's going to play out. So we'll have to kind of sit back and watch uh, as 
as or if regulators um, come in. Uh, so there is that sort of side of it. And the other side of what I, really confuses me is um, we don't know the size of the whole exactly, do we? We know there's like an $8 billion on, on FTX and we know there's potentially up to the $50 billion on the Alameda, the whole group put together. Um, but even if it was like, let's bring it down to a small scale of just the $8 billion, say small, but $8 billion, um, that $8 billion, where did it go? Like, were their trades so bad they've lost, they've managed to lose within a, um, you know, a barely a 12-month period or whatever it's been, $8 billion. And that was $8 billion, as far as I'm aware, again, was at was it November prices, which the prices were much lower, obviously, then. So pre that, they were obviously much higher. I appreciate the coin uh, price drops from the FTT coin and so on, obviously, has, has made an impact on um, how much collateral they had against things. But it's still billions and billions of dollars there that they have done something with. So, you know, have they, I know they bought Penthouse and they donated to the, was it the Biden campaign and, and so on. Um, but, you know, that's still a lot of money to just disappear. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it makes me feel like there's still something more to come from that story of what that, what that is, where that's gone. Um, it's still dodgy. Um, and I think the, the paper Bitcoin, sorry, I'm say something. No, I was going to say that story's got plenty of legs. Yeah, plenty of legs. And and the paper Bitcoin is where I wanted to take it because this, as you know, uh, we are big advocates on this show and many others and yourself as well, who even run an exchange about self-custody and why it's so important. And here's a perfect example for any plebs out there that don't have their signing devices yet or their hardware wallets, call them what you will, that the reason they're so important and what what what's what's the actual line on this they had one bitcoin is that correct <laughs> i think so yeah <laughs> they had, had one bitcoin but i don't even know that was by the end of it or I, I, yeah one bitcoin for i don't know how much is the equivalent of what they should have had um i guess we don't know that part yet but um yeah one bitcoin so they're, they're holding one Bitcoin, but telling everybody, yeah, your collateral is safe with us. So even what I don't get as well, because there must have been people withdrawing more than one Bitcoin per freaking day. I mean, come on. It was huge. Yeah. So would they then just buy spot and fill those withdrawals? I, I assume, I don't know. I, I assume the one Bitcoin was kind of by the end of the, when they declared bankruptcy and, and went, became insolvent. But I think the, um, or officially became insolvent. But the um, pre that, I assume, because people were withdrawing Bitcoin and it was going out fine. So they must have had a buffer. They must have had something there. Um, so operating effectively, I guess, like banks, we fractional reserve side. So there was definitely something there. It just that it ended up at one Bitcoin eventually by the time they'd officially shut the doors, um, I guess. But yeah, I, I don't know what that buffer was and, and how they were operating. Um, <clears throat> right. So everything, can you... Everything... Sorry. Can you explain to the plebs then that uh, have not self-custodied yet from Coin Corner why they need to? Um, because you shouldn't trust us. <laughs> it is the simple answer. You um, shouldn't trust us. You shouldn't trust anybody. You should um, pull it into self-custody the best way you can. I think there's a really... So there's lots of points to, to cover, I guess, with the self-custody side here. So um, please bear with me for some of this. No, let's do um, it. It's important. Because there's, you know, self-custody is still difficult. 
so you know people may not like me saying some of the things i guess that i might say in a second but it's the reality and i think people need to understand the reality to be able to understand how we move forwards from here and how we improve what we do so the reality is still from a coin corner perspective for example it's probably i need to get the numbers on this because i keep saying ballparks but um it's roughly 90 95 of our customers still custody with ourselves with coin corner not self-custody um that you know for whatever reasons that may be um unfortunately the general public will still leave it on an exchange rather than self-custody and maybe because they've got too little to bother with a hardware wallet or it's too much effort it's too complicated um hardware wallets still at the minute are complicated so they're very easy in some some respects um and for a tech savvy person and a person in the industry it's very easy for a brand new person like if i give that to my my dad and try to get him to use it he wouldn't he, he, honestly have no clue what what to do where to start how it works he'd probably spend a couple of days trying to figure it out then message me asking me how to do it and you then even when he's got that set up and running he'll be then worried that what if he loses it what if anything goes wrong he needs a backup but you need a multiple backups and off-site backup uh what if your house sets on fire and it burns up and you lose everything so people are still scared of self-custody so the reality is even though we want everybody's self-custody and we as coin corner and myself I don't want to hold people's bitcoins. That's just a liability to Coin Corner that we gain nothing for, and there's no there's no upside for us in holding that bitcoin. There's only downside where we could lose it. So there's really no, and, and that's one of the things you'll see with a lot of other exchanges. If an exchange is encouraging you to hold bitcoin with them, then that's a red flag. You should be querying why. And a lot of the time, that ends up being with um, high high yield uh, interest accounts, uh, which we saw from. Celsius, FTX, everyone else that was kind of BlockFi and the likes. Um, and they may start off with a, a genuine business model, um, but I think the reality is of where that interest was coming from uh, and good old Alan Farrington quote of, um, you know, where, where does the yield come from um, is the key question and that's always the problem. Um, so if an exchange is trying to encourage you to do that, if so if the um, interest, should we call it, is something realistic and they're saying, okay, you can, we can use this Bitcoin to, you know, we can do Bitcoin back loans and loan that out to our customer base. And it's almost like peer to peer loaning and it's, it's uh, collateralized by the customer's Bitcoin, but the interest rate is maybe like 2% or 3%, something like lower. But when you're seeing up towards 10%, I think some of them are even more ridiculous than 10%. It's just not realistic. It's just not real. Um, so obviously look for them red flags. Uh, as and where you can. And that's easier said than done. It really is. Um, we in the industry see, kind of know these businesses, understand the the landscape. Um, new people coming in don't understand it, don't know who these companies are. Some of them don't actually know who Coinbase is and things. So, you know, the biggest store, biggest um, sort of biggest exchange in the world uh, aside of Binance. But um, they're what you would imagine is one of the more credible ones, public company, licensed and regulated all around the world. Um, but people still don't know who they are. So even if somebody comes in and says, here's Coinbase, here's Celsius, the general public don't understand that. And Celsius are offering 20% interest and Coinbase don't offer anything. So they're going to go and use Celsius. And that's what happens, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, coming back to the self-custody side, um, the reality is most people still hold it with an exchange. And we still, as an industry, as a, a community, developers, companies, products that we need to get out there, um, for Bitcoin custody, we still need better self-custody products. Don't get me wrong. 
um, Cold Card, Bitbox, you know, all the guys there, um, Ledgers and that, they're all great. Um, but they are still overly complex. Um, Casa solves some of the problems with two keys, but I know Casa's a touchy subject at the minute <laughs> um, for the industry. Um, but they have tried to solve the problem, I guess, of having um, a kind of an off-site key as such, and it's held with them. So you're able to um, recover if your house goes up in flames. You can potentially have keys dotted around to be able to um, recover the Bitcoins. Um, but also that in the that mindset, that thing in itself is scary in itself for the end customer, um, especially people outside or, or that are just dipping the toes in. That's a scary thought of that could actually happen. Um, so it's still, we are still years and years off in reality of people being able to self-custody in a a um more comfortable um manner shall we say of what they're comfortable with um, and it has to be better ux still which will improve and will come in time but that is a reality of it 90 95 of our customers hold it with coin corner we don't want that we want them to hold themselves but that ux isn't quite there yet that will make them comfortable to be able to do that what that ux looks like i don't know at the minute and that's you know if i knew that would be out there building it or out there pushing that for um the likes of cold card and, and people coin kite to, to build <clears throat> um so yeah i think then as an exchange holding people's bitcoins as well just to help um cover certain parts of that i know there's then been proof of reserves um, has been mentioned and audits and all these kind of things. Um, that is still incredibly difficult. So we're seeing, I think Binance have done the Merkle tree route of being able to um, audit your proof of reserves as such from a cryptocurrency side um, of what that says their database matches up with. But there's flaws around that all over the place. Obviously they can, things like, they can put a, a negative balance into their database, which would then mean the numbers stack up, even though they could say they've got a minus 10,000 Bitcoins in their balance. Um, and then in theory, even when you use the Merkle tree concept of what they're doing there to tally things up, they will still end up with what looks like the correct balance to the actual crypto they're holding, but it's 10,000 short because they've just tweaked a, a number in their database. And also you are relying, so you're effectively relying still and trusting them that they've shown you the correct information and they have full control of that information in the in the background and can do what they want the other side of that is even if you get past the cryptocurrency side there's still the fiat side of things so you the exchanges are still holding fiat for clients um that can be into the the millions the billions probably with binance and coinbase's uh, case um at which point there's no way to um audit that or, or have a, a proof of of reserves um logic or uh offering as such so you know you could get a screenshot of your bank accounts and things like that if they really wanted to but you know that's going a little bit far of um not a little bit far but that's going a little bit um beyond the realms of trust almost there because you, it's a screenshot it's it's useless should we call it so there's you know there needs to be something done i agree and that's where we need to get to with it and there needs to be something better uh, and a better way to audit these companies um I think what we did, so for example, with, um, I'm not saying we've got the, the solution or the perfect solution, and it's not something that we would we do at Coin Corner um, at the minute, but what we put forward uh, with the FSA, uh, Financial Services Authority here in the Isle of Man, um, they inspected us earlier this year, I think it was earlier this year, 
Um, and after they'd inspect, finished inspecting us, they said, um, you know, what feedback can we have? And we gave them feedback as what we think they could do better as a, a regulator and what they can do and come in and, and do. So we turned around and said, the only, the main feedback we give them was you should financially audit us to check. This was back in March, I think it was. So we said, you should financially audit us, audit us um, and to check we've got the proof of the reserves that we have. So this is before all of the, the FTX drama and the Celsius drama and the BlockFi drama. Um, so we told them that that was for us, that's probably the best way you can probably get the, the, the general public comfortable that the regulator is, um, forcing exchanges like ourselves to have audited financials and then the audited financials. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> there's still an element of trust and there's still, um, an element of, uh, potential, uh, fraudulent activity to go on because as we know, FTX were audited, um, by, I can't remember who the company were, um, but clearly they weren't audited very well and it wasn't, um, audited for regulatory purposes. I think they were audited for whatever purposes, whether it's a public perception or not, I'm not, I'm not sure that, um, so there can still be issues here, there and everywhere with that process. Um, but at the minute, that's probably the best option for a lot of the, for the crypto, um, world and, and the regulation around it it would be for the regulators to actually audit the financially audit the companies or have uh, the companies produce financial accounts um, from an audited company, such as like your KPMGs and, and so on um, in my head. Yeah, mate, that, that's an uh, incredible rip. And it, it's got me thinking about how to make it easier. One way you guys have made it easier, and I know it's not a, um, a complete solution, is I can now custody my Bitcoin from Coin Corner via the Lightning Network using my bulk card, and it goes straight into a wallet of my choice, right? And I know that wallet, you know, is um, it's a custodial wallet, but maybe there's a gap in the market there. What, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about that? Is that, and I know as well, it's only fifty pounds a day that you're allowed to do, so that that's a bit of a hamstring. But as this evolves that will become easier. You'll be able to up the limits once people are used to interacting with it. And that's, that's a that's almost, you know, that I knocks think, down the KYC as well, right? If you're, if you're withdrawing via lightning. Um, we, we'd still, as a coin corner customer, you would still need to complete the KYC side of things. So you would, we would still have that information. Um, unfortunately the, um, as far yes, as the UTXO we... goes. Sorry? But as far as the UTXO goes, if I'm pulling um, coins off on the Lightning Network and then using them for my day-to-day -day spend, for example. Yeah. yeah, that avoids the on-chain, any on-chain analysis right. side of things, which is, yeah, from a privacy perspective, more positive. Yeah. Um, and you could, of course, move them to, say, you've got LM bits running on an umbrella node or something like that. You, you could move them into there and have non-custodial and run your bulk card off the non-custodial route as well and be able to do that and there you um, go so that would be your your best option but again that is then still self-custody and somebody would have to run a umbrella node and would have to know what they're doing to be able to have lm bits running and, and all that side so then mm -hmm. it, this is where why we only have like 90 95 of customers um are holding with us and only five percent are actually self-custody and doing what they do um, because it, it's always a niche, uh, and initially especially, um, what something we've discussed where I guess f future thinking and the way that you would hope it starts to move, 
Um, things like you've got a router at home. So you have your router. Everybody has a router to have access to the internet. Could the router have Umbrel built in it and your Bitcoin and Lightning node effectively built in it? Could you eventually go to um, the level of you've got a smart TV at home that has Netflix apps and Disney apps and Amazon Prime and all these things? Could that have Umbrel in there or a Bitcoin Lightning wallet in, in some capacity? And you could actually just have it built within your smart TV and you could go on that, manage it from your TV, and that would be effectively like your non-custodial uh, option. Um, it would still be, um, I guess it would just, you could probably do it in some capacity, I'm sure, with an Umbrel style, so it's all non-custodial, open source and everything else, and you can open it up and have that running. Theoretically, it's still a hot wallet as as is Umbrel um, at the minute, so there's always risks and uh, issues to come there, but that would then maybe simplify it to be much more user-friendly for the general audience that... You know, you jump on, you go onto Netflix, you can log into your Netflix and then watch films. So similar to that, you'd jump onto your TV, log into your Umbrella node, and you'd be able to then send payments from it. And you could tie your, your um, bolt card to it at some point if you wanted to. And you would just have to go out and spend with your bolt card then. And you wouldn't need to really log back into your Umbrella node apart from when you wanted to change something or do something. So maybe in the future, that that was kind of the direction you would um, see it going. There's lots of... Um, I guess unknown issues there and lots of um, development that's still required to to move that direction. Um, but I think that'd theoretically make it more mainstream um, from a, a self-custody side of things. And this is where the plebs step up, right? And, and start building something like this because there's so much talent out in the space. So many people just tinkering around, coming up with bright ideas, getting together at conferences, sharing ideas, forming a company. And before you know it, we're off to the races and we've got something better in the space. It, it moves yeah. so quickly. Uh, yeah. Right. Before we, um, before we move on from that, what was the last thing I wanted to touch on coin corner, any updates? Have you updated the app or anything of late? Is there anything that you've, you've done and you want to shill? Um, we, uh... Cool. When when will the uh, the podcast be released? Uh, <laughs> I'm asking. I don't know, a week to ten days. Okay, okay. Uh, maybe we can include that then. So, um, so this week uh, there'll be a new version of the app going live. Uh, I think it'll be Android initially, followed by the iPhone. Um, we are working with. So one of the things I'd like to start doing in the industry a bit more is trying to work with other companies around the world really from a lightning and Bitcoin perspective where, you know, we are in this open source industry, this community, this, this world's global uh, technology. It's become a little bit disjointed, I think over the time and where we've ended up with companies going in slightly different directions. I think we've seen um, publicly as well from Ellen uh, lightning labs and Blockstream, um, and even the LDK side and Eclair and so on, where you've got the implementations of lightning and there's been some, um, recent drama as we saw with the LND bugs and some of the uh lightning labs crowd was saying that they thought it was blockstream that were a, made the attack and created the two there was the two transactions wasn't there which i think there was a, a little bit of a, a misunderstanding um there but anyway won't get into the drama but you start to see where everybody's kind of swimming in slightly different directions um, and want to try and pull people back together a little bit so helping people come back together and work together again. So a lot of the lightning companies out there that we were looking to try and start working with now. Um, one of the ones we hopefully will be announcing this week is uh, one with Bitnob. Um, Bitnob are the an African lightning wallet, should we call it. And they 
Uh, they operate in Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana at the minute. Predominantly Nigeria, I think, um, but just opened more recent to Kenya and Ghana. Uh, and they have links as well. So you can receive like um, Bitcoin Lightning payments into their wallet, which would in theory then push into your M-Pesa account if you're a Kenyan. Um, so it would automatically, you could theoretically top up your M-Pesa account via Lightning sending from anywhere in the world. So from the Coin Corner account, for example. <clears throat> so we've um, worked with them recently uh, to create... Um, kind of like a remittance product. We can't really, um, it's not really, rem it's remittance. Remittance definition is based off money. Obviously, Bitcoin is not money. Bitcoin is an asset in the eyes of most um, regulators and laws around the world. Um, but it's basically allowing, uh, say, for example, a UK Coin Corner customer to remit money or remit um, what would be GBP in their account. They can go onto the app, which is in the new release coming later this week. Um, they'll be able to then go on to um, cross-border payments in the app and you'll be able to then put in, say, for example, some bank details in Nigeria and then they'll be able to get, they click OK, that gives them then an, a lightning invoice effectively and they'll just click pay and what that will then do is it will use move the GBP from the coin corner balance into Bitcoin, send it over lightning and pay the invoice to um, the Nigerian entity, which ends up being Bitnob. And Bitnob will automatically push that out to the Nigerian bank account, for example. So you've moved from UK, UK bank account, straight to Nigerian bank account, just using the Lightning Network in between. So the remittance market for that particular corridor is, I think, about £6 billion a year from the UK to Nigeria. No, it's £3 billion uh, UK to Nigeria. Um, in total, I think it comes to about £13, £14 billion a year uh, remittance from the UK and Europe to Nigeria, Kenya, and Ghana alone. Um, so all of a sudden that is becoming an incredibly powerful tool, hopefully, um, to show that, you know, lightning companies around the world are able to then start working together to move money around the world instantly, um, pretty much next to nothing in terms of the cost and the charge. Uh, and it will undercut and be um, quicker, cheaper than the likes of MoneyGram, Western Unions, even TransferWise uh, and everybody else in between. So th that will be announced in a couple of days. Mate, that's um, awesome. Is that is freaking awesome. I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face. <laughs> you know I used to work in foreign exchange, so I mm -hmm. completely understand the ramifications of this, and I'm just trying to wonder who are the biggest players there that are going to be uh, upset with your, you know, entrance into the market, I'm guessing um, transfer wise, but the Western Union not so much in the UK. Uh, yeah, um, so um, can't say too much more on on from just from the UK. So the UK, Europe, um, UAE is another one uh, where we will go from and and to. Um, so it will be a lot of African places. Um, there's also some South American and some Asian uh, locations that will be introducing as well in the coming weeks and months. Um, so it will be from UK, Europe and that to elsewhere around the world. Plus there's going to be one from the US, which will also do the same to Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana and so on. Um, so this is, again, it's like kind of lightning companies coming together a little bit better um, and starting to help drive this money movement ecosystem around the world. Um, so, yeah, I think transfer wise money, uh, money ground, Western Union. Every single one of them, in reality, uh, I think, is mm -hmm. going to start to have to pay attention. Um, the, you know, we were looking at 
the average cost. Um, sorry, I should have brought some stats with me for this. I didn't think I was going to be talking about this one, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll try and remember off the top of my head. Um, but we've got uh, looking at average costs for remittance from, say, the UK to um, you might even know better than than myself, but like to Nigeria, I think it was I think it was averaging out between six to nine percent um, fees from UK to Nigeria. Um, what we're experiencing at the minute from doing it over lightning and doing it our process, it might be one and a half to two percent um, total cost. That's literally total cost of everything. So, um, and obviously it's done pretty much instantly and received and instantly settled. So that you're not waiting days or you're not having um, owing money from a cash flow perspective or anything. It is instantly settled and moved straight away. Um, at 24 7 365 as well so another big part of i'm sure you know the fx market um during the weekends um obviously it's it's closed most of the weekend correct me if i'm wrong but um they open yeah. for a couple of hours do they no uh, no 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 they'll be closed like uk hours will be closed at uh, the weekends and then public holidays as well obviously okay um so same in the us yeah. same globally Okay. Is it then, I had in my head that it's, it will be crossover hours, will it then from... Exactly. It'll be crossover possible. hours. You know, if there's a New York office or something open that they can plug into, uh, then, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then it allows for real-time settlement. It's effectively spot rate for most of the, most of the cost as well. Um, so from, even it's coming from uh, British pounds to Nigerian Nara, Nara um, you can then, you are effectively getting more of a spot rate because you are getting the Bitcoin value against each one of them currencies, um, which if there's an arbitrage opportunity, as we touched on before with Sam, um, there will be people arbing it. So that will effectively squeeze it to what would be a more market spot rate. Um, so it was far more competitive, uh, instantly settled and um, much, much cheaper uh, than what we're experiencing now. So yeah, looking forward to that as a, a Bitcoin, I guess, real world use case um, and being able to allow people to move that money um, in a hopefully a very nice um, user-friendly experience as well for that. Huge, mate. Well done. That's that's amazing. See, I knew I knew there'd be something every time <laughs> you come on. And we didn't even talk about Dubai yet. That's what I wanted to get into because that was your last big news, which we didn't even we we were scheduled to to chat, but obviously we had to reschedule it. Uh, yep. As much as you can say, obviously. How the hell did that even start? What you know, like how did that come around? That's got to be a, a random story in itself. Yep. Um, yeah, that's um, was incredibly random. Um, <laughs> so, short story. Uh, I guess earlier this year, I think it was about March time this year, um, the family office reached out to uh, to myself. Um, I, all honesty, ignored it. Um, and ignored them for a, a month or so because I just thought it was one of these sales emails I get um, regular. Um, and I thought it was like a, a Nigerian prince scam kind <laughs> yeah. of that you historically have seen in the past um, because it was a, a, a royal family office emailing asking about a partnership with us and so on. So I kind of ignored it and pushed it away. Um, the uh, the lady there um, who was the investment director of the family office, she was uh, chasing um, for uh, it probably was a good month, I think. Um, and I eventually just thought, right, you know, maybe this is real. So I Googled who they were, I Googled herself. Um, I actually ended up messing, message, messaging her on LinkedIn um, just to clarify that email was coming from her and it was definitely her. 
Um, and she obviously replied, said, yes, that's me. Please, can you respond to the email? So I was like, right, okay then. And so I re- responded to the email in, uh, I think that was about April time by this point. Um, picked up the conversation with them, had a couple of phone calls. Um, we explored what this partnership looks like, um, how it works. And what they wanted effectively was they, in Dubai uh, and the UAE as a whole at the minute, they are embracing a new technology in general, not just Bitcoin, but they're trying to embrace as much new technology as they can in the area and trying to bring in uh, new business, um, new tourists as well, uh, which come with a lot of this. Um, and they're trying to help the the region in itself um, expand and, I guess, grow the uh, the industries there not only in the UAE, but in the MENA regions, so Middle East Middle East, and Northern African um, areas as well. They want to help bring uh, the new technology and Bitcoin in itself um, into more of these regions because they believe that it has obviously a real use case potentially in these. There's a lot of unbanked countries um, in the MENA regions. Um, uh, there's a lot that don't really have access to the likes of uh, Visa MasterCards and so on. So there was a... Uh, quite extensive uh, due diligence process. Um, what they do as a company is, uh, as the family office, um, they go out to the world, look around the world, find the companies in various industries that they've highlighted they want to be involved with. Um, and they go and find companies all around the world that they think they can bring their technology, their product offering into uh, the MENA regions and help with their connections within the region to team them up with um, partner companies and um, companies that they may have a, an invested interest in um, to help bring the adoption of these technologies into their regions um, and help create an industry, I guess, in, in their areas. Um, so we were one of, uh, I think it was three initially uh, that they were looking at, and then they eventually chose uh, us to, to move forwards with if we were willing. Um, so we um, obviously said yes, um, saw that as a big opportunity um, to jump in and kind of uh, expand Coin Corner to another territory in, uh, I guess, with real substance behind it as well, rather than just open to a country and say, right, we're open and we can try and do something there. Um, this is, we're open. Uh, we have an, we'll have an office there. We're just in a, still in the process of opening the office up. Um, we'll have a, a team there as such. We'll have uh, the license that we're just going through at the minute, the uh, VARA license there in uh, Dubai. Um and we will then have the partnership of the family office themselves, who will then be teaming us up with um, all sorts of companies around the area to effectively bring bring Bitcoin adoption. Um, and one of the main things, again, I, I want to emphasize maybe a little bit on that of it's not just um, what this is because it's a, a, the royal family office and um, of the Almac tombs, so they are very well connected in the in the area and and Dubai and uh, UAE. Um, so what we've got to be careful of, it doesn't become a top-down approach. So there's a little bit of a top-down approach because they are who they are as a family um, and the connections that brings. Um, but it also needs to be a little bit of a grassroots approach as well. And also it needs to be a it needs to be a balance of a bit of everything really, but it also needs to be a problem-solving approach. So we don't want to go over there, force Bitcoin down the throats of people that don't have a need for it, don't want to pay attention to it, don't want to get involved. You have to go and find how can Bitcoin solve problems for, whether it's these businesses or these individuals. So a perfect one for, as an example, to help explain that um, is in the UAE. There are, um, I think it's about 250,000 Filipino um, uh, workers there now. 
and them 250,000 workers there remit money back to the Philippines every month. So that is costly in itself of how much that costs to actually remit the money back. So touching on what I've already mentioned there in terms of the remittance offering um, to from the UK to Nigeria, um, we could potentially also do uh, the UAE to the Philippines. And there's a massive market there um, for, uh, I can't remember the average transactions, say $110 a transaction, I think, per month or whatever that may be. Um, that is maybe like quite a nice sweet spot for, um, a Bitcoin remittance, which is incredibly cheap uh, and sending that back over the Lightning Network to the Philippines and back to then what would be um, a bank or a mobile payments uh, offering in the Philippines that they can convert the Bitcoin automatically straight back into. So there's another one going on there as well. <laughs> um, so the, the approach... Oh, yeah. Lauren, Lauren has arrived. Hang on. Oh. Well, come on and say hi then. There you go. Hi. Sorry, I don't have a question. I was not prepared for this because I was doing a class. So. No worries. Well, maybe Danny has a question for you. Yeah. What do you was have he? A question for me? Yeah. What was he class? Drama. Drama. Dr drama. There's always drama in our house, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a drama class in some corner of the house. <laughs> they fit very well in the industry right now as well. There's lots of drama in the industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, what, what's your favorite lesson then? Um, art, I'm oh, sorry, art, debate. I don't do history anymore because it's on a Wednesday. And on Wednesdays, I have horse riding. All right, you're giving a whole a whole right. kit, like schedule. You're getting a whole Lauren schedule. <laughs> see. Uh... Well, they're, they're three favorites straight mm -hmm. away. And horse riding is a favorite, obviously, because you get to hang with the animals. Yeah. With the horses. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming down. Thank you, Lauren. See you later. See you. See you. Uh, yeah, the the point there about the 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 Philippines remittances is massive. I, I've seen how big it is. I lived in Asia for 15 years. Uh the the, the Filipino uh women, they they come across to Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, Tokyo, UAE, all of those countries are, are around that UAE and um, end up as uh, domestic workers, I, I guess, uh, a maid would be the uh, the mm -hmm. best way to put it. And every Sunday, they go and remit money from somewhere. In Singapore, they would all go to Orchard Road and go and find in, I don't know if you've ever been, but you could go and find uh, money changers in tiny little cabins. The amount of cash that was being passed across the countertop was incredible. Uh, and yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars a day would just be going. And they're sending money back to their their mother and their kids because generally the husband was a no-good so-and-so and, -so and he, he's not to be trusted. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that was always the story. And... To now be able to provide those people, because obviously they were getting completely screwed on one, the exchange rate, and then two, mm. the um, the fees, and the money wasn't instant. You'd have to wait two or three days, and then they'd, they'd get a phone call from their mother. Oh no, it didn't didn't turn up in the bank. It, it's very stressful. Now, yeah. bam, just like that, you can you can just switch that, and the fact you can have an office there as well, mate, I think is amazing you, you, truly 
Are you hiring? Um, we are, um, <laughs> which we'll, we'll be in Dubai, but um, <laughs> we haven't put the job out yet just yet. But yeah, there will be, um, I think, a couple of roles there uh, that we're looking for. We're just finishing off with the, the license side of things at the minute. But then I think yes, you'll we... get your arm bitten off for that role or those roles. Good, good. To... That's what we like. <laughs> to um, go over there, you can, you know, the, the weather is great. You've got great connectivity to the rest of the world. You've got first class service. Um, it's an incredible place. I only went there for the first time this year, and it was yeah, it was it's absolutely incredible. The technology is um, far more advanced than I expected there as well, um, which was nice to see. Uh, the weather the weather was hot, um, but um, yeah, for someone from the UK. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was nice. It was it was just incredibly nice. Uh, everything was so clean. Everyone was so well um, mannered. It was yeah, really really nice place um, from my experiences there. So it's good. Um, yeah, you exactly. Do, just touching do, on what you, sorry. you do struggle with the heat, though. That is uh, that is a hundred percent sure. And yeah. there is, uh, if you like your wildlife and your hiking and things like that, that that's definitely not the place for you. And uh, the the culture, you know, coming from Europe, Europe is all about like it's you know steeped in history and all of that kind of amazing culture. The culture there is completely different because it's such a a new kind of uh, place. Very. Yeah tall shiny buildings um so yeah it, it would attract a certain kind of person that's for sure and and i'm sure you'll have plenty of plebs but go ahead yeah sorry i interrupted you yeah no no sorry it's fine i, I was just touching on um what you mentioned before about um people sent the remittance market in terms of even from the uae and, and the areas back to the likes of the philippines and i think that the philippine the uae just to the philippines alone i think was about two billion dollar a year oh. um, market and you know it's it's massive it's much much bigger sometimes than you realize in mm -hmm. some of these places um i think the um the buy-in itself i think is uh, is it about 25% are Emirati, uh, which is um, mm -hmm. the locals there, obviously. And then the 75% is our, our people that have, have come from all around the world of, of mixed uh, cultures and locations. So, um, yeah, it's an, an incredible location from a, a remittance perspective. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be exciting, I think, to get get up and running there, which will be um, probably in the new year before we're, we're up and running there fully. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, looking forward to having, I think, I guess a country as well, regulators that are embracing it, um, the, the community there as such, or the the, um, the the businesses there that are wanting to embrace it as well, um, and wanting to help attract whether that's tourism coming in or just new jobs and new industries being created there. Um, I think it's going to be incredibly powerful to see. Um, obviously, there's new technologies always come with um, some downsides of things, and we are seeing. I think people have seen a lot from Abu Dhabi as well. Um, and other parts of the UAE where uh, people have been embracing NFTs and DeFi and all these sort of things. And that is always going to happen um, with anywhere new where they're trying to embrace something. And I think that's all part of the education, uh, I guess, we have ahead of us as well um, in terms of trying to help educate um, what these technologies actually are and what the real world use cases are. And that's part of the, the a remittance offering in, in some respect there it starts to show actually what you can do with it. You know, you're not gonna be able to do that with an NFT um, on SHIB or whatever it may be, um, but you can do that with Bitcoin and Lightning and make that a real world use case and solve problems and uh, create things um, that are better than I guess the current offerings out there. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be an experience, gonna be a journey. Um, I think there's there's many years ahead of us still of work to do um, and building to do, but 
um, I guess I'm looking forward to actually doing it and getting getting on with things, which is going to be good. And a royal family, mate. I mean, we would think about how quickly this has moved in the last two years. Right, two years ago, we were all like flabbergasted that MicroStrategy came out of left field and announced their first fifty million dollar purchase to go on their their balance sheet, and we were like, "Oh my god, like, you know, we've been waiting for this, and now here it is." And since then, royal family. Uh, and we had Prince Philip as well from uh, yeah. Serbia and Yugoslavia start, you know, shilling Bitcoin on a on a chat show. Now we had the president of Madeira, mm-hmm. and we've had yeah. uh, Samson, you know, leaving Blockstream to go and concentrate on nation state adoption. It's moving so quickly. Yep, it is. I mean, El Salvador in itself. Um, of course, of course, <laughs> legal tender as well, which is yeah. obviously one of the big ones there, and um, I think that is a it's a good i don't want to call it test bed but it's a it's the it's a good first mover um it's incredible that um uh, Bikelli there as as president Bikelli has um stuck to bitcoin only and as i touched on there with what we're seeing in dubai is still nfts and DeFi and things and metaverse and all these other various technologies and buzzwords that are being thrown out um so it's nice to see the likes of what you said there with uh, madeira with prince philip um and other places that are actually just sticking to bitcoin only and focusing on on bitcoin itself and what that can potentially do um which is for me that's where i want to focus my time as well and it, it's educating people so that you know it's, we've we've got our um work cut out for us uh, moving into dubai and trying to help educate them on um why bitcoin and why not chib and every other token out there um but that's part of i guess the journey and what we've got to do and hopefully two years from now we'll be seeing um such large jumps as we've seen there as you mentioned there from the micro strategy buying 50 million to where we are today and two years from now let's hope we've got some some other um crazy announcements and crazy um positivity that we will see along the way well you've got friends already placed out there uh soft simon is out there from mempool he created mempool.space. So, you know, I can put you in direct contact with him and you'll be able to get up to speed very, very quickly with the Bitcoin Maxi only seen over there and start your meetups and whatever else that needs to happen. Merchant adoption. I love that idea of grassroots merchant adoption. And we've talked about this with you before on the Madeira calls uh, and the, the idea of getting a bunch of plebs together at a meetup, pairing everybody off, Giving everybody like a point of sale machine and you know 15 to 20 bolt cards. Come back in two hours and see how many merchants you've managed to, you know, at least understand that they're able to accept Bitcoin without even Bitcoin hitting their account, right? Especially with what you offer with your merchant accounts at Coin Corner. I've set my brother up with this thing, as you know, the Suffolk Jungle Room. Yep. They've got their merchant account running and People come and they just had a Christmas meetup there yesterday. I think it was two days ago. They can buy their coffees and whatever else, their beers, their glass of wine, their lunch with the Bitcoin. And it can hit the merchant account the way I understand it. Tell me if I'm wrong. You can decide whether you want to keep that in Bitcoin or sterling or euros if you're a euro-based business or in in future in um, dirhams uh, or wherever it is that you're going to be stationed. So... The, the idea and Bridge to Bitcoin do a great job of this. And I know you guys, I'm going to get you talking about Isle of Man in a minute. Making it clear to merchants that all you're doing is offering 
your potential customers another form of payment is a good thing, whether they decide to use it or not. So you're switching the narrative of, do you accept Bitcoin to, would you like to pay in Bitcoin? We can get there because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great marketing tool for the merchant to be able to, what's going on in, at the moment in the UK? We're going the other way. They're trying to go cashless. They're trying yeah. to like make it card only. This is an absolute travesty. Yeah. There yeah, should be I, more I choice think, always for customers. Yeah, I, th I think there's um, one of the things with the bulk card was probably one of the best marketing tools we've we've ever had or used to onboard merchants. So actually showing them something that they're, they're used to tap and pay and contactless payments like with cards in the UK. So it was so familiar to them that they just got it straight away. And as soon as you showed them that Bitcoin isn't scary, they were adopted it and they were quick to jump on board. And we we onboarded a lot of merchants locally in the Alaman uh, very quickly. And I think similar to that um, in the UK, the, the uh, success, I guess, of onboarding the merchants has been heavily from um, plebs themselves out there, talking to the local pub, talking to the local shops and onboarding them and pulling them in that way, but showing them the bulk card and how it works and how it's actually very quick and easy. Um, and the money, they don't have to hold the Bitcoin that can go into GBP and into their bank accounts. Um, so once you know if we would have took this it's similar i guess um to what we we're talking about earlier on with the arbitrage opportunities where back in 2015 16 the infrastructure wasn't there it wasn't ready now it's becoming more um readily available lightning has now enabled um install payments uh, lightning with the bulk card has also enabled nfc um instant payments without them innovations and without them um I guess leaps in adoption or leaps in innovation of what we've created there along the way, not not we as in CoinCon, but we as, a, as an industry, um, that has enabled then these merchants to easily, uh, I guess, ex accept it, adopt it, um, and be more welcoming to the new technology. Um, so adoption, um, one of the really frustrating parts of El Salvador, uh, not at, at El Salvador, but the general public, um, we've seen El Salvador adopt Bitcoin just over 12 months ago. Um, now, because everybody's not using Bitcoin to pay for everything everywhere there, you know, you see the mainstream media saying it's a failure and it's it's not working and, and so on. The reality is the grassroots area of El Salvador, so the El Zontes, for example. So I know um, from um, conversations I've had with people that are, whether they're in El Zonte or whether they visited El Zonte, you can go and pay with Bitcoin everywhere with Lightning. And it's it's much, much better than, than say, San Salvador. Um, where it's still difficult to pay with Bitcoin and it's still there's lots of education to do. Um, so that grassroots effort that was in El Zante, which is the Bitcoin beach that, that people are aware of, that shows that grassroots um, payments and sorry, grassroots approach to uh, Bitcoin payments has been far more successful than trying to just force it on top-down approach and getting some big supermarket chain to accept it, which would be great, don't get me wrong, from an adoption perspective. But the reality is... Um, a lot, I guess, is it solving a problem for that big chain? Is it actually just introducing a new payment, which is then potentially new overhead and new complication and new training they have to do to all their staff? And that's why I think top-down approach, There's there's got to be a balancing act of top-down approach and um, bottom-up approach, so the grassroots, where you can't just go one route or the other. There's going to have to be a combination of these things. Um, and in El Salvador, we've had that combination and that will take time. Everything with adoption takes any new technology, takes time. Anything with this, uh, the way Bitcoin is being adopted, 
it's going to take time. So people need to appreciate and not jump at the, um, the, the first opportunity they get to say El Salvador's not working, Bitcoin's failed and so on. They need to understand, look back at any technology, look back at anything new in the world. And anything like the internet is always the comparison people put with Bitcoin. Um, and that took um, realistically decades to to come into mainstream usage. Um, and that took, uh, you know, I guess the internet and websites and browsers in general um, helped that adoption in some ways. Social media then helped it. Then the the massive jump was probably the smartphone and the smartphone side kind of really pulled people into using the internet every day on a daily basis. Um, so there's lots and lots still to, in terms of a, an adoption cycle. We've still got to see lots and lots of um, innovations be created, lots of use cases. Again, this was the internet was not necessarily forced down people's throats in some way, whereas the smartphone came around and it became almost everyday life for people and social media got put, people got pulled into that. And there was, there was a real use and a use case for it. And that's why the internet became um, as widely adopted as it is today. Um, so we need to, I guess, as an industry, as a community within Bitcoin, it's great. We're onboarding so many Alan Man and so on, and we've got some in the UK and El Salvador is adopting it and all these different areas and different places. But we, what we need to do as a community and as an industry is we need to find Bitcoin's real world use cases because that's how you get people using it every single day, day in, day out, and finding them problems and the pain points in whether that be the remittance um, angles and the remittance money movements around the world, whether that be um businesses that maybe are tight on cash flow and invoice monthly and actually you could change this to daily or hourly or whatever that may be with lightning um that will help increase cash flow for these uh, businesses these merchants um whether that's just fx in general moving money from you know companies around the world that may have branches and operations in various jurisdictions around the world but they've got money in multiple currencies and they want to move it around quickly between uh, into company transfers and things so You've got to find areas of business and areas of the world that we can actually fix and can actually make a real world use case for. And then over time, and that's not going to happen overnight. That's not going to happen in one or two years. That's, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years. You're going to really start to see then mainstream adoption because everybody's, it becomes ingrained within the the products themselves of what you're using on a daily basis. And then it just becomes uh, natural for people to be able to use Bitcoin uh, at that point. Um, so I think there's, it's that, um, I guess what I'm trying to push there is there's still many years ahead of us of work. There's, there has to be patience. Everybody talks about Bitcoin as this long-term thing, but because we don't get adoption within two months, three months and, and so on, people get impatient and want, they, they want to see it happening now. Um, unfortunately, the reality is it's going to take time and just almost please take that step back. Please look at the, take a step back pull yourself out um, from the the bubble or the ecosystem as such a little bit um, and try and help find parts of the world and parts of your life where you think Bitcoin could genuinely help people and genuinely be a real use case for these companies, these people, um, and then introduce them in a, um, a nicer, more real world use case uh, perspective for these people outside of, of our, our bubble and our echo chamber, I guess, in some ways. And there are so many use cases and really at the top at the highest end as well. Like the, the business I used to be in, banks were moving hundreds of millions of dollars around on behalf of clients at the end of the day, uh, not just hedge funds, but actual real functioning businesses. Someone like 
Let's just take an airline for an example. Ryanair have a lot of exposure to a lot of different currencies all of the time. And yep. the, the exposure to commodity prices, oil, for example, Bitcoin literally fixes this for them. Yep. You know, because that's a, that's a it, really good example, actually, airlines. That's that's good. It, and it's not just airlines, it's the shipping companies, it's the uh, car manufacturers, it's fast moving, fast moving good uh, FCM, fast consumer moving goods companies, as much as I hate them, they exist. And they are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year just on fees. First of all, actually, the, the, the worst thing that's happening to them is they're getting. Uh, railed into like a foreign exchange derivative, like a three-month option on the back of some salesy guy on the sale foreign exchange sales desk who says, well, in three months' time, you're going to have $200 million exposure on your Japanese yen because of all the exports and you know, you've know you got it. That, that. Fluff, 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 fluff. Whereas I just want to ship my cars and I want to be paid in yen like now, not, yeah. not, not trade, not T plus three either, you know, not, 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 you know, I want to one get screwed on the foreign exchange rate and then wait three days. But then when you look at what's going on, the UAE oil, yeah, they're forced to use the US dollar. Yep. And, and we have thanks. these countries looking for a solution and it's yeah. there. And, and that will be once. Not once the penny drops, but once you can show them actually how that works and how they can move money around and or move Bitcoin around and, and value, should we call it, around, um, that then becomes uh, attractive to them and interesting to them. Um, and that will, again, come in, keep coming back to the points of the infrastructure around the world back in 2015, 16. This infrastructure wasn't there. Now we are starting to see um, the lightning infrastructure in the US. You have Strike, you have Cash App, um, you've got... Uh, even Kraken and a bit for next now have introduced lightning, but then you've got ourselves, you've got Bitnobs and uh, Pouch and all of these ones around the world now starting to become uh, more lightning focused companies that can move money between ourselves in all different jurisdictions. So it's not a coin corner by ourselves and never going to go out there and take over the world and create all this money movement via lightning off the back of ourselves. We are doing this with all the other par industry participants in in our sector of like your, your strikes, your cash apps, your uh, your bit knobs. Without all them and out without all them pieces, that infrastructure is not in place in all the countries. So, and every country around the world, as long as there's another coin corner in every country of the world, all of a sudden we will all be able to interoperably interact with each other and move money or move value around the world um, in a very quick, instant, seamless manner. Um, and because it is interoperable with it being Lightning Network and the way that moves, you know, we don't have to create this closed loop SWIFT network um, or we don't even have to have um, the local worry about the local payment networks being like faster payments and backs and things like that um, or ACH and the US is it and so on. You can all of a sudden move money from on the, exactly the same rails from, say, the Philippines over to the US and then the US if eventually you can pay with bitcoin rails in shops and supermarkets you'll be able to use the exact same rails and make them payments so it'd be one network throughout the whole world yeah that you'll be able to move money around and value around um, well, so they, that is the strike are doing that exactly already right in, in the us so it's done yeah 
and and you just you need them infrastructure pieces all around the world and we will all work together to make that happen so it won't be one of us does it everywhere in the world it will be lots of of coin corners lots of strikes around the world all building together um and working together to build that out um, and create that um open and it has to be be that way the whole thing of bitcoin is the decentralization side the censorship resistance side we need lots of companies like ourselves building out there not just us not just us and strike taking over the world there has to be lots of other companies out there to keep it decentralized and keep it censorship resistant the likes of ourselves we are regulated and, and we're not regulated we are um we sit under the fsa uh, as a designated business, we're regulated, uh, sorry, registered here um, as our strike in the US. They're registered with the uh, FinCEN over there. And we are prone at any company under any form of regulation uh, will be prone to um, censorship. So, you know, us as companies, and we'd be lying if we turn around, if any of us turned around and said, no, yeah, we're fine. We're going to take over the world and everything by ourselves. It's it's a complete lie. We, we are not, you know, we should not be saying that. We should be working together to... To kind of drive the direction of what is best for Bitcoin as a whole and the ecosystem and the industry as a whole. And that is lots of decentralized or lots of companies um, out there that can operate. Um, you know, decentralize everything mentality that people have sometimes, you know, can be silly, but um, eventually, you know, you want the decentralized options in some capacity or at least the non-custodial options so you can be censorship resistant so there's there's a fine balancing act that we have to work towards without the likes of ourselves and strike and bit of the mainstream adoption will not be able to be driven um but without the likes of um non-custodial options then the censorship resistance becomes an issue um so it's it really is long-winded rant there but it's all <laughs> about we all have to work together as an industry to create um the whole ecosystem to become uh the best of what bitcoin can become we've got to work on getting ryanair a merchant account at coin corner and i love the fact that they've they've even i mean they've trolled peter before they've trolled udi that so yeah. someone there is watching and if they were just to understand that just by having that account with you uh all of their foreign exchange risk goes away because yep. people are buying tickets from them with Swedish crowns, kroners, whatever they are, Turkish lira, Czech crowns, Polish loti, all of this other, you know, other European currencies that they're using that they have to hold on their books and carry that risk or get it switched over by some scammy firm that's charging them God knows how much to do it. No, it just <laughs> it gets it hits their account in either Bitcoin, Euro, or Sterling. Yep. Done. And it, it it really is it's, it's a conversation almost that we need to have with the the, the right person at Ryanair. At, yeah, exactly. Um, and talk through. And every business and every business model will have areas of their business that can be improved. And using Bitcoin, using Lightning, we can start to improve that. Um, whether that's cash flow, whether that's FX, um, whether that's cross border. I wonder what the savings would be straight away off the bat. Yeah, I, I think they'd be scared to see that maybe. <laughs> tens of millions, ten, I'm guessing tens of millions. Uh, yeah, I have no clue off the top of my head, but yeah, I imagine it's going to be in the millions. You've got to imagine. Whatever they um, pay their their banking services and whatever they're paying on foreign exchange. and Yeah. Gone. Just 
well, I guess we'll put a tweet out later and see if anyone from Ryanair wants to talk. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. or, or any other airline or any other business now that's thinking, you know, Norwegian Air, I'm thinking of, um, that, that there's another one that, uh, you know, gets heavily used out of the UK and, and other, all of these low cost airlines that are completely, absolutely annihilated by the flag carriers that get subsidized and bailed out whenever there's a problem. It's the, the scrappy entrepreneurial businesses that we need as plebs to stay alive. And if they would just put themselves, open themselves up to a discussion like this to see how much they could save each year, it'd blow their minds. Mm. Yeah, definitely would. It's just right people uh, at the right place. All right, Dan, enough brain splatting. If you had one last orange pill to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Um, I think I've given a few away already. I've answered a few people now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I should have kept a spreadsheet. I never did that. I didn't know <laughs> 300 episodes ago I'd still be answering, asking this question. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, it would be actually a spreadsheet. Would be really. You should go back and listen and, and find yeah. out who they are. I, I'm sure a pleb will do that one day. That that's that that's a free open source project for a a, a pleb out there. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll stick to the um the, the royal royal family uh, angle side of things and um I think uh, Prince Philip says it the uh, really or explains it in a very good way of um royal families generally have a long term mindset of um sustaining that wealth and and keeping that wealth and that um reputation as such uh, throughout the de- the generations. Um, so they focus on like generational wealth, um, which is really good. So I think from a, a royal family perspective, obviously in the UK, we've just had a, a slight change, uh, unfortunate change, but it came to King Charles now. So um, maybe King Charles would be um, maybe in my orange pill at the minute, maybe uh, and drop, drop that to him and uh, see how that conversation would go. Love it, mate. I love it. Well, Dan, thanks for everything you're doing. Always great to hang out with you guys. Always a huge thank you as well personally for supporting the show you guys have been um you know a a big help to me and i know i'll do anything i can going forward to help you guys out whenever you need any any help getting connected with anyone just let me know and uh yeah here's looking to 2023 mate yep thank you dan appreciate the time again always enjoy it have a great week mate there you go guys what did you think of that rip with danny Does that give you an idea of the kind of work that's going on behind the scenes? You are not bullish enough on Bitcoin. You don't have enough Bitcoin. None of us do. We're all short Bitcoin. And we are still so early. Do not worry if this is one of the first few shows that you're coming into. Do not worry if you're class of 2022. Just get this dollar cost average plan, fiat cost average plan in place so you're buying bitcoin as regularly as you can you can set that up on coin corner if you're based out of europe or the uk just set it up like a weekly purchase whatever you can afford just get your stack going and you know you can use other partners of this show swan bitcoin in the us relay across europe as well and hodl hodl if you don't want to do the kyc thing of course, you must as well. You got to understand as well. If you're doing that on Hoddle Hoddle, you are going to pay a bit of a premium over what you would get the the, uh, the Bitcoin on the exchanges. So 
There's trade-offs in everything that we do here in the Bitcoin space and in life in general. So it's up to you to do your own research. That is the key thing. You need to be in control of your destiny. Buying Bitcoin is the hugest thing you can do to be in control of your own destiny. Then start learning about the different ways to self-custody and the different services out there as you go. But please start stacking if you are not already. You can use wasabiwallet.io to help uh, up your privacy game there when you're pulling your coins off the exchanges or the apps. Just run those coins through a Wasabi wallet. Just download it, wasabiwallet.io. Try it out with 50 bucks, 100 bucks. Do your own research again. What are the other services out there along these same lines? And is one better or worse for you in your situation? Please use a hardware wallet. At time of release with Danny today, Binance look as though they're on very, very shaky ground. We've already had the FTX collapse. So get a hardware wallet, a signing device, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. And then using the code bitten at checkout is going to get your 5% discount off the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. Get yourself to a conference, guys. It's very important to keep meeting people. You can download the Orange Pill app as well. Very cheap and easy to do. No, guys, it's not free. No free apps in Bitcoin anymore. We've got to move away from that model. You're going to have to pay a few bucks a month to be part of that app. And you can pay in Bitcoin via the Lightning Network and meet Bitcoiners close to you. Go to a conference. BTC Prague is going to be very competitively priced in June. You can use code BITTEN at checkout for a 10% discount. Get to Miami. Why not? Go to the big one. It's a much more expensive conference. But again, that's up for you to decide. There's going to be tens of thousands of Bitcoiners there. Loads of fun side events. You can get your tickets. Hit the link in the show notes. You will get a 10% discount using code BITTEN which is generally my code for as all of the pleb discount stuff that you can find. Again, just hit my link tree and you will find all of the Bitcoin companies there that are willing to offer you plebs discounts, whether that's books, hoodies, t-shirts, hardware wallets, you name it. It's all there. Games with Shamari. Um, yeah, you, you, you got so much on there that you guys can use to, uh, to get yourself a little discount. Keep supporting the plebs. Go to Geyser Fund, see what's running, see where you can share some of your sats to help some of the entrepreneurs out there that are building in this uh, bear market. That's the end of the show. I'm sorry I run out of music. This is day six of the Wall of Content, and I hope you enjoyed hanging out with Danny Scott. Catch you on the next one, guys. Take care.